So we are a new church, just so, just if you didn't know that. Um, but I'm, I just, there's always something, I, I always want to kind of point out something in our service, um, just in case you're new with us. But, I'm, but one thing I want to point out today is how thankful I am for so many people who show up early and help set up and put the signs out, things that you don't even know that people are doing. But I'm really thankful for um, these guys who stand up on the stage every week and lead us uh, in song. And they're here, they're here before I am when, on a Sunday, and I know they're working throughout the week and rehearsing, so I'm just really thankful for these, these folks, and, um, and that, that just get here early and do a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and they just help us to, to come in and to worship, and we don't have to think about anything else, and we're just here together as, as a family. So, um, so keep that in mind. Although, as they were standing up here, it looked like Seth had on that orange hat, and Glenn had on that top hat. So check that next. I hope that doesn't distract you. But um, and this has nothing to do with our church at all either. So just FYI, no theme going on here. So uh, well, if you have a copy of Scripture, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter three. Back in the fall, we started a a series in the Gospel of Mark, and um, we'll be in it for quite some time. Mark chapter 3, and we will only look at verses 31 through 35 today. Verses 31 through 35 today. And they, they pack a little bit of a punch, just to set you up. So Mark chapter 3 in the New Testament, verses 31 through 35. And his mothers and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is God's word. It's entirely true, and it's given to us in love. Let me, let me pray for us, and we'll dig in. Father, we are, are grateful that we can um, sing your praises this morning, that we, are, uh, that we have breath, that we have life, God, that we have uh, a place that we can gather on your Sabbath day to, to gather with the saints, to gather with fellow family members in the faith. And God, I pray that you would remind us of your gospel today and, and how the gospel brings us together as family. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, if, you, if you don't know, uh, know, Jesus talks a lot about family in the Gospels, but not in the way that you and I would expect him to talk about family. We've, we've made family, I think, as a culture and even as a church culture into something that Jesus never really refers to. We, we've created whole organizations that are, that are purely focused on on family and family well-being and, and marriage. And those things, those things are, are well and good and, and are helpful, but we've, we've created these things that just focus on family. And as we often do in the Western part of the world, we run everything through this particular filter, this, this westernized filter. So for some of you, or some of us, I should say, your biological family or your adoptive family is the end-all, be-all. You don't mess with the family. It's kind of like the mob. You don't mess with the family. 
And even those of you who are, are from un- unhealthy families, maybe abusive homes where, where that things were not quite right in, in growing up or they may not be quite right now, you are still 100% loyal to those people. Well, I think for, for, a, lot of, uh, for a lot of reasons, it's because we've generally developed an idea within the church on the family that's, that's more based on the positive teachings of the Bible. So rather than beginning with a text like we read today already, which is considered a controversial text when speaking about the family, we naturally move toward those parts of the scriptures that help us be better people. We want to be moral. We want to do things that are right. And we, we place, that upon, uh, place that emphasis upon uh, the family as well. So we move towards uh, passages that say, honor your father and mother, or obey your mom and dad, or submit to your, your husband, or refrain from these certain things that are going to affect the, your family, or are going to affect your marriage, or avoid these particular issues. And on and on it goes. And because we've made Jesus safe for the whole family, we convince ourselves that what Jesus says in Mark 3 or in Luke 9 when Jesus tells a would-be disciple um, who wanted to simply bury his, his father, let the dead bury their dead. Or you have a place like Luke 14 where Jesus is commanding his disciples to not only leave their parents and leave their siblings, and leave their spouses, but to hate them and follow him. So we convince ourselves that these passages don't actually mean what they say. They're they're way too extreme. Jesus can't possibly mean what he's saying here. And so what we end up doing is we end up interpreting the scriptures through our own cultural lens rather than the lens of the gospel. So we say, surely Jesus doesn't want us to actually hate our family. He just wants us to put God first. It's not what he really meant. And so whether we mean to or not, what we end up doing is we end up domesticating Jesus because we remove that biting edge of his words. Those, those demands of scriptures that Jesus has, has there for us so that we can make him safe to take back to our American Christian homes and churches. So what needs to happen is our patterns of thought and behavior need to be overthrown by Jesus in this area of family. And that's exactly what is happening in our text today. So Jesus is dethroning the biological family here for his followers. And he's not saying they're unimportant. He's not saying his his family is unimportant. But Jesus is showing us and his followers here in the text what is most important. What's most important? That the primary means in which the grace of God in Christ is communicated to a broken world is not through your biological family, but through the spiritual family, also known as church. And it's Jesus who is forming this family. Not me, not you. Jesus is forming this family. 
So one of the first clues that we have in, in the scriptures that Jesus is rearranging the social order is through his calling of the 12 disciples back in verses 13 through 19 that Hunter preached for us a few weeks back. Now this, this may not look like much, but, but it's the first time that Jesus is actually calling a group of people to forsake everything in their lives, including their families, to follow him. And they do. They leave everything behind and they follow Jesus. So in calling into question the centrality of the family, Jesus is asking us to imagine a different social order. And that's an all-encompassing band of brothers and sisters based not on family ties and blood relationships, but on discipleship. One commentator said, Jesus came to establish the new family of God, a family of disciples who follow him with the entirety of their lives. And it's through this new family that God's kingdom breaks into the world. So what does it look like? So three things that I want to point out to us in the text, and it's there in your worship guide if you'd like to take notes One is that it's an intimate family. Two, it's an inclusive family. And three, it's an exclusive family. So first, in verses 31 through 34, it's an intimate family. Let me read those verses for us again. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Now, to understand this point fully, we need to know something about the family in the New Testament world, or the family in, in the world of the first century. Uh, One writer helpfully wrote, who did way more research on this than I did, but he says, No image for the church occurs more often in the New Testament than the metaphor of family. And no image offers as much promise as family for recapturing the relational integrity of first century Christianity for our churches today. So one of the most important factors in this is the order in which family relationships were viewed in the first century. So in the New Testament world, one of the most important relationships to be had was not between a husband and a wife, as we might guess. But it was between siblings, between brothers and sisters, so, now in the 21st century West, I am, I am concerned with the relationship that my kids have with each other. I want them to have a, a strong relationship with their, with, their, with their brother and with their sisters, and I, and I want that relationship to last until the day that they die. I want them to have that type of relationship, a strong bond. But, if my kids get married and they have to choose between a strong bond with their siblings and a strong bond with their husband or with their wife, as their dad, I am going to counsel them to choose the latter. 
their most important relationship once they leave our home will be with their spouse. Not so much in the first century. So even, even though the bond between husband and wife is of utmost importance, for them, the bond between, a sibling, between siblings was most important. And this was because the sibling relationship kept you grounded in your birth family. So your birth family was your identity. It was who you are. Who your father was was most important, and you always wanted to stay connected with your father's family. And so the other people included in that connection were your brothers and your sisters, not your husband and not your wife. So this was something your marital relationship could not do or did not do. You are always from your father's family. That is what binds you together. So this is really helpful in our understanding of the church as family because the church functioned as a first century family and not a modern American family as we would like for it to. So this is important because we can fall into the trap of baptizing our idolatry of our families with a spiritual tone. We do this a lot. So we say things like, well, I'm, I'm not going to the worship gathering today because we need some family time. And so we're just going to stay home and spend time together as a family. But let me just say this. Let me just warn you. If you consistently prioritize your family over and above the church, you are wading in very dangerous waters. Because what's going to happen if you consistently do that is that you are not only going to ruin your family, but you're also going to ruin the church family as well. Because you're placing something above what God has called you to, the church of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not just a pastor up here trying to compete with family first advocates either or with or with sporting events or anything of that nature this is a pastor that is pointing you to Jesus's own actions Jesus was constantly pointing this very fact out in the early church So he makes it abundantly clear that while your relationship with your biological or adoptive families are important They must not be first priority. So this is why passages like this are hard to hear. Because Jesus is transferring this practice of family in the first century to the family of the church. And that's included with us today. So this is where the intimacy comes into play. Because for Jesus, it wasn't his biological family that he was emphasizing, but it's his spiritual family that he's emphasizing. He says in verse 34, Here are my mother and my brothers. Those gathered around me right now. Now this in no way is meant to to make your biological family some kind of 
second-class group of people that you can now neglect. Don't hear me saying that you just can just leave your wife and your kids or your husband and just, just go off and do whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what Jesus is saying here either. If you have a spouse or, or, and you have kids, th- those are your first neighbors. If you were to look at your life in, in, in view of like concentric circles, your family, if you have a family, comes first. Those are your first neighbors, and you need to love and cherish those individuals in the name of Christ. You are to share the gospel with them. You are to to bring them along with you as you go to worship. You are to set an example for them of what it looks like to trust Jesus in all areas of your life. This is how one writer put it. He said, God is not simply pro-family. He invented family, and he's giving it his highest blessing." So what Jesus is doing here is not telling us to neglect family, but he is telling us who is included in his family. And blood relationship has nothing to do with it. This is why the the use of the language adoption, and, and some of you are adopted into families here, so you understand this probably better than anybody else, but this is why adoption is so important for us to understand is because we are not blood related to Jesus. We are adopted into his family. So the context of this passage is that Jesus' mother and brothers have heard of the accusations that have been made against him. First, by his family and friends in verse 21 in chapter 3, that they, they believe that Jesus is out of his mind, literally crazy. And then you have what we looked at last week. You have the religious elite, the religious leaders, the powerful um, folks from the Sanhedrin who have come down, and they have placed this judgment upon Jesus that he is possessed by the devil himself and doing the works of the devil. Now, if this was your son or your daughter, you would have the exact same concerns that Jesus' mom and brothers have. And so they go to Jesus so you can imagine them saying, Jesus, come with us. You need, obviously need to get some rest. You are not right in the mind right now. You're not well. You need to come home with us where it's safe and where we can care for you. But instead of excusing himself, as we would think would be normal, and leaving with them or even just going to talk with them just to to kind of just comfort them, to say, look, I'm okay, Mom, I'm okay, brothers. Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach those gathered what the true and lasting family looks like. He's rearranging the order for them. So, yes, these at the door are related to me. This is my mother and my brothers, but they don't sit above those gathered around me now. So he's making a clear distinction between blood relation family and the family of God. Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, if I did that to my siblings, my siblings might be a little put out. And they might, you know, they might hold a grudge against me or they may just get over it pretty quickly. But if I did that to my mom or my dad, or anybody of that stature, they would have my head. It would be the end of my life if that happened, if I did that to, to them. Well, this wasn't different for Jesus. 
Jesus wasn't in just some special category of a relationship with his mom here. In fact, I would say that the object of the family was a lot more intense in the first century than it was than it is for us in the 21st century. Jewish culture was and is very familial. And so for Jesus to make the move he did was a great offense against his family. And everybody in the room knew that. So when Jesus says, doesn't even acknowledge his mom's presence or his brother's presence in the way that would have been uh, respectful, everybody in the room kind of looks around at each other. And they can't believe that Jesus is actually doing this. One commentator observed, he says, In a single stroke, Jesus dishonored himself and his family by refusing to exercise his crucial family role as the oldest male of the household. So Jesus shows us here, by doing this, that his family of disciples takes priority even over his own mother. So Jesus is radically redefining the whole understanding of the family for his followers. For whoever does the will of God, Jesus says, he or she is my brother and sister and mother. So let me ask a hard question just for you to ponder What family takes priority in your life? Is it your biological family? Or is it this new family that Jesus has formed and is continuing to form? Does your biological family, your blood relationships, take priority over your church family? It's a tough question, but it's one that we have to answer for ourselves. Well, these final two points won't be as long as this first point, but I do want us to see from the text a bit about the family that Jesus does call us to. And and it's that it's an inclusive family, but it's also an exclusive family. So inclusive, look at verse 34. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. So if you know anything about just, just kind of watching Jesus as he's, as he's walking the earth during his three years as on, on, on earth, a lot of people followed Jesus. And not all of them were believers, okay? So Jesus is constantly thinning the crowd. He's constantly saying these hard statements about discipleship so that, so that people will be thinned out. They, they have to know that if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to give up everything and follow me. And this was no different. So Jesus is looking around his crowd of followers and and we, have to, we just have to assume that not all of them were believers. So Jesus is saying to them, saying to those gathered around him, these are those who are my family. These are my brothers. These are, this is my, these, these are my mothers. These are my sisters that are, sta- that are sitting before me. Even though that some may not be believers, Jesus is still offering the invitation to them. 
Because the call to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is inclusive. And inclusive simply means that everyone is included in this particular call. So the invitation to be in Jesus' family is not based on blood relations. It's not based on how good you think you are or the good deeds that you may have accomplished this week. It's not even based on how bad you are. It's not based on what sins you have committed. But it's based purely on the grace and mercy of God in Christ. So if you're here today and you are trying to understand what Christianity is all about, let me just first say that I'm glad you're here and that you are welcome here for as long as you want to be here to, to try to help uh, understand what it, is, what it is that Christianity is all about. Who is this Jesus that we are talking about? But one thing that I want you really to understand is that you don't have to do anything to answer this call to be in the family of God. You don't have to do anything. Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, Come all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Period. No disclaimers, no prerequisites, just come to Jesus. Well, third is that this is an exclusive family as well. Look at verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So anytime you use the word inclusive in a sermon, it's always good to follow it up with the word exclusive because people are going to start thinking you're left-leaning and liberal, and Kevin said something about that Christianity is inclusive and anybody can come. And because while the call of God is inclusive, it's for all and meant for all, not all will respond appropriately. So we'll see this uh, a lot more next week in, in, in chapter 4 of Mark's gospel with the parable of the sower. But Jesus says in verse 35, that there are only certain people who are welcome into the family of God. Whoever does the will of God, he or she is in my family. So what's the will of God that allows us in his family? And it's simply this. Repenting of your sin and believing the gospel. Repenting of your sin and believing the gospel. That's all Jesus says at the very beginning of Mark. Repent and believe. And not only that, it's an ongoing repentance and believing as well. It's hearing God's word and doing it until the very end. Persevering to the very end. So we've been answering this question throughout the, the Gospel of Mark, and, and I was kind of asking this question again with this particular text because this particular text just seems like it's just speaking directly to us. It's about us. It's for us, and, and it doesn't really tell us who Jesus is. But it actually does help us answer the question who Jesus is. 
Jesus is the one who forms this family. Jesus is the one who forms this new family of the gospel called the church. And if you repent of your sins and believe the gospel, Jesus promises, as one who does the will of God, that you are part of his family. That the family of Jesus is now your identity. It's your roots. It's who you are. No matter your family background, no matter how screwed up your family currently is, no matter what's happened to you in your past, your roots, your family is the family of Jesus. Whether you're married, or you're divorced, or you're single, or you're widowed, or you have kids, or you don't have kids, or you're an empty nester, or, or you've been adopted, or you, you've committed great sin your entire life, or whether you're white, or whether you're black, or whether you're from this culture, or you're from another culture, you are part of the greatest family in the universe. Where God is your Father, the grace and mercy of Jesus rules and the Holy Spirit unites us around our common confession of the gospel. As brothers and sisters from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. The church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these words of scripture that remind us that our roots are not in our blood relationships as, as followers of you, but they are in um, Jesus. That you are our true father. That we are true sons and daughters of you, our king. And that we live together as family in this local expression of the church here on earth. And so, God, may we continue to understand uh, what it is that you are calling us to as your church and as your people, that we would love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would uh, understand that we have an obligation to one another to, to, to share the gospel with one another, but also to be on mission together as the body of Christ. So God, I humbly pray that you would do that uh, in this church at Christ the King Church. God, I pray that you would use us in this way, that that when people look at us, that they would see the love of Christ uh, displayed in our love for one another as brothers and sisters in your family. And we pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen.